it is undeniable that that is the people that work with us um, and the the true passion and drive that they have to make successful um, restaurants is that is what keeps me here but also a stability for our guests that they recognize faces when they come to our restaurants um, I think that that having friends at your restaurant a place where everyone knows your name that's a that's a powerful thing this is the deep in the weeds podcast i'm anthony huckstep wine is such an integral part of the restaurant experience and getting it right for a venue for the food on offer and the clientele can be challenging but what does it take to master this over multiple restaurants with different offerings and ensure they are all at the top of their game. Leanne Altman is the beverage director for Trader House, which includes Supernormal, Cutler & Co, Cumulus Inc, Gimlet and many more. Leanne, how are you going? Well, thank you. You've, uh, you're leading up the beverage team for some of it, not only Melbourne, but Australia's best restaurants. Mm. Um, What's, what's that like? What's the challenges involved? I kind of see it as more exciting than, well, no, it's definitely challenging, but, um, but there's so much excitement. And I, um, I think that, that when you look at lots of different venues, one of the things that um, Andrew is so incredibly skilled at is making sure that each restaurant has its own identity. And certainly for me, when I'm looking at the beverage programs, each of those has its own distinct personality. And that's not just um, because of the wines that are listed, but because of the people that work there. So my job would be utterly impossible if I didn't have the incredible team of, of buyers and sommeliers that I work with. So, um, so that provides that personality as well. Gimlet is... Uh restaurant that's um, really quite different for Australia and was opened in the last year and a half in really mm. challenging times. Tell us a bit about the restaurant and and what it was like trying to get that open with the with the lockdowns and the openings. It's definitely been a journey, um, but, you know, <laughs> the best journeys have the best results. So um, we started talking about Gimlet in uh, sort of as a management team in May 2019 with plans to open just before Christmas. And as these things always do, it gets pushed back a little bit. Um, we were pretty much ready to open, team recruited, wine in the cellar, and then um, the events of, of 2020 occurred and Melbourne went into shutdown. Obviously, that was incredibly devastating. Um, we opened for a moment in, in what I like to call the in-between time in June, July, I don't even remember, before another shutdown and then finally got to open in November, late November. So Gimlet is um, a very grand restaurant in appearance. It's an incredible space. It's a, an old building from the 1920s and it really is such a beautiful room. And I think that grand atmosphere is definitely something that's very unique in Melbourne um, and certainly gets remarked on by pretty much every guest that walks through the door. Um, but, but, you know, I think that it is a, it's a really special place even without all of the ups and downs that's been part of that opening. So um, 
hopefully it's resonated with people in the, I don't know, six, seven, eight, I keep saying six months, but it's much longer than that now, um, that we've been open. Um, but we're still working on that personality. We've already got an amazing community of guests um, and, uh, and, yeah, continuing to refine that every day. In March 2020, when the world sort of changed and there was a real uncertainty about restaurants, there was also a lot of talk about fine dining and whether people would want that anymore. What sort of impact mm. did that sort of messaging and discussion have on the plans to open Gimlet? Um, I don't think that what we offer at Gimlet has really been... I don't think the concept of what we offer has changed. Um, Andrew has very clear vision and uh, about all things and, and certainly for Gimlet it's, it's a real passion project for him. And I wouldn't necessarily describe Gimlet as fine dining. You can definitely have a fine dining experience and the food is delicious and, you know, hopefully there's lots of interest in the wine list and certainly the service is great. And the room is incredible. But it's also a place where you can just swing past and have a burger and a glass of wine that's not too expensive. You can come past and have a late-night drink. So it always had that flexibility in the concept. Um, I think in terms of COVID and, and shutdowns and things like that, we've seen both sides of that conversation where people are maybe interested in classic, comforting uh, experiences in a restaurant, but also quite the opposite where, you know, it's the um, the 1920s all again, this like decadence and, um, and, and desire to have an experience that's not, you know, spaghetti bolognese. At, uh, at home. So so there's been a desire for that fine dining experience, for something that you can't replicate at home um, that we've definitely experienced in our restaurants too. So I suppose it depends on what your experience of COVID was and obviously it's impacted different people in different ways. Um, but, uh, but certainly we've seen best of both worlds, I think. Trader House has so many amazing restaurants Tell us a bit about your role as beverage director and, and how you manage the different offerings for the different venues. Um, I started working for Andrew a long time ago, 2009 it was, and I started at Cutler & Co as a waiter and eventually over time worked my way into the wine team, which is what I wanted to do. And But when I started, they didn't have a, a role for wine, so so I you know started on the floor. Um, I, that time working at Cutler & Co and particularly the time working with Liam O'Brien um, was really formative for me in understanding that restaurant and that site. And then I've kind of grown with Trader House. So um, I opened Supernormal and then after, you know, a number of years at Supernormal started taking on responsibility for different venues as we opened them. I only started in this role in 2017 and and it is a role that we hadn't had before. But where each of the restaurants needs its own personality, we also need to benefit from the fact that we are a family of restaurants and, and make sure that we're not replicating the same work over and over again and also consciously making decisions to be different. 
So it's really easy when a winemaker comes around and shows new releases. All the sommeliers get excited about the same wines and, and just to make sure that, that we're not, um, you know, just having carbon copy um, wine lists in each venue, taking advantage of our, our size but also making sure that each experience is, um, is really a family-owned experience because it's not only the fact that Andrew, um, you know, is so closely connected to the restaurants uh, but also that the people that work there really treat it as their own. So, um, yeah, my role is in uh, taking advantage of our similarities and making sure we stay different. Uh, and I also work on a lot of new projects and um, different activations, different events that we take part in. Tell us about putting together um, a wine menu for one or two venues that are very different and and who's involved does does andrew and the head chefs also get involved in regards to what the beverage offering is that you're putting together absolutely um i i suppose there are two quite distinct offerings that you know the two most recent lists that i wrote from scratch um were gimlet and again there's so much discussion around what we want the experience to be what does it feel like when the guest arrives and, and, you know, talking to the chefs about, um, you know, the, the textures and inspirations of, of dishes and, and how, what wines I'll need to list to make the best experiences. But certainly for Andrew, particularly for Gimlet, he was um, highly involved um, in, in shaping that experience, particularly for the bar side of things. Um, Cameron Parrish is our bar manager at Gimlet and he is just incredibly skilled and incredibly knowledgeable. So translating that through Andrew's love of cocktails and the experience that he wanted to to create for our guests and then talking to Cam about that bar skill um, and the the classics and his unbelievable encyclopedia of, of knowledge um, is a is a really interesting experience, and and um, and Andrew was really heavily involved in that conversation. Um, I suppose to contrast with that, you could look at something like Supernormal, and that was a real challenge because that the the cultures that we take influence from to cooking techniques or ingredients, um, they're not traditional wine drinking cultures. So I had to really talk to the chefs about uh, how they think about the dishes and particularly to Andrew about the experiences that he'd had when he was working in Asia um, and combining that with his, you know, Australian outlook and focus and focus on um, producers of, of, like primary producers of meats and vegetables and so on how that was could be mirrored in the wine. So for me, that wine list started out as being more of an exploration of texture and food pairing. So it was less about um, like if you're an Italian restaurant, you have Italian wines and varieties that originated in Italy grown in Australia. Like that's a pretty clear concept. But for Supernormal, it was like, okay, so there's lots of chili lots of vinegar, lots of fermented ingredients, um, but also there's um, 
you know, interesting textures like the, the heat that comes from ginger, um, fish that is, is raw, so, but it's not served as, as a, with European flavours that are very familiar for pairing. So I really had to think more about tannin and acid and sugar and, uh, you know, originally I thought, well, maybe I'll just only have fuller-bodied styles that have aged so the tannins have softened and, and the fruit po- profile has become a little bit more tertiary and more umami character. Um, you know, I discovered quite quickly that people really enjoy young Barolo and I had to list them. <laughs> but uh, so, you know, I can have all of the dreams that I want, but, but in the end, the, the guest experience is the guest experience. Um, but we did have a great fun in, you know, listing masses of Riesling and um, of all different shapes and sizes. And for instance, a whole section of that wine list, which is dedicated to, to salty wines that have picked up umami character from Lees. So, you know, there's... There's lots of interest in that list, and and I think Dan Barker, who's the the wine buyer there now, is is um, certainly really attuned to that, and uh, and has continued to make that a really interesting and innovative list. Take us back to when you were young. What was food like in your family, and what sort of triggered your interest in hospitality? I didn't realise until I was started working in hospitality that I had a really fortunate food and wine background. Um, I didn't grow up in, you know, dining out in many restaurants or anything, but my parents both came from families um, in the Adelaide Hills and they both had farming interests and and, uh, we always grew up cooking everything from scratch. So I didn't discover the wonders of tinned soup, for instance, until I was a grown-up and had to fend for myself. Um, I... You know, my mum is a is a, a really great cook and, and she was always really interested in exploring other cultures and, and different cuisines in a way that I didn't realise my friends didn't, you know. Um, so, and we always had wine at the table. It might not have been uh, particularly exciting wine, but it was wine and, and I grew up in South Australia, so I suppose there's that. And, and in the southern part of Adelaide, so... McLaren Vale was really, really close to where I grew up. Um, and, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realise until I started working in restaurants that people didn't know how to use a – like they didn't know how to use a knife and fork <laughs> or sit – they weren't used to sitting at the table. Um, yeah, so that was very funny. But I – you know, and, and I was used to going out into the garden and getting vegetables – Never, never, never being able to have fresh peas because my dad would just stand out there and eat them before they got to the kitchen. Um, I, I now realise that that was really fortunate, but, um, but I didn't realise it at the time. I, I then went and, and certainly my early times in hospitality were very much uh, very similar to a lot of people I talked to actually. Went to university, didn't know what I wanted to do and really liked the place I was working on the side. Um, so, so I dropped out of uni and, uh, and decided to, you know, see where this restaurant life would go. I never really had an end goal, to be perfectly honest. Uh, it was just taking up opportunities as they came to me. And uh, I've uh, certainly been very fortunate in the, I suppose, support and mentorship that I've received along the way. So I try to pay it back. 
a part of uh, what you, what you've done is um, you went to the UK and worked with uh, at Gordon Ramsay uh, restaurant. Yes. Take us take us there. Do you have any memories of what it was like to work there? I absolutely loved it. It was incredibly um, enriching for me. I had um, when I was twenty two, maybe. I took a friend of mine recommended that I enter a scholarship program uh, called the Daniel Pontifex Scholarship, um, which I ended up winning and it created some incredible sort of drive in me to to learn more and about how big the world of restaurants could be and the, how big the world of wine could be. Um, and it, as part of that scholarship program, I went to the UK and I did some stages over a month and one of those was with the Gordon Ramsay group. So I spent some time when, when Gordon was still at um, Claridge's in the restaurant there um, at Petrus when he still owned that and, uh, and one day at the, you know, Holy Grail, the three-star in Royal Hospital Road. And the thing that I took away from that was how knowledgeable, how passionate and how driven the people worked who were working in those restaurants. Now, it's, it's a, those classic restaurants are, are taxing places to work, you know, and, and remember this was some time ago before we were maybe more aware of, um, you know, how, how important it is to, to have balance in your, in your working life. Um, so these were people who were really working to the extreme and, but there was a real drive and a fire in the people that were working there. And when I came back to Australia, I obviously coming back to Adelaide was quite different. Um, <laughs> but I, I've always kept that in my mind. And so when I, when I moved to the UK for the ubiquitous working holiday, I, I spent some time um, working in a, in a pub that was um, really focused on real ales. But, but you know, that wasn't, um, you know, kind of the experience that I wanted to get out of it. So, so my partner and I moved to London and, um, and there was a, I had an interview with Gordon Ramsay Group and, and they offered me a couple of roles that I could have been a, a commie sommelier in a, co- a couple of venues um, or I could be work as a host at the Three Star. And I just thought I want, even though my, my journey was for wine, I, you know, I decided that by then. I wanted to be in that environment and to be honest, it was incredible. And I, I wish I could have stayed longer, but, you know, visas are visas. Um, and they wanted to sponsor me, but in, in the end it was, it was uh, sort of serendipitous that we came back. But, um, but it, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a really driven environment where everyone knew the standards and everyone worked to a great experience. And I think I was one of only two English speaking, native English speaking people there. So it was a really diverse workplace. And, um, and one of my things, I I feel like my biggest contribution was making sure that when people walked through the door and they walked into the lounge and, um, you know, Gordon has a certain reputation and I, and, and some people, particularly during the summertime when there were lots of tourists, uh, were maybe a bit scared <laughs> about walking into the restaurant or intimidated. Might I realised the power of, you know, that big smile, the welcome, 
um, setting the tone because for a very formal restaurant, it was incredibly welcoming um, to the guests and, and nothing was too much trouble and everyone was genuinely engaged in that. Um, certainly the biggest hurdles were, you know, the, the style of service is, is very foreign, um, that detailed service to, to what we had in Australia at that time and I suppose it still is to an extent, um, but but it was a wonderful way to learn and I, I feel like I really had insight to the classics. I think the biggest lasting memory was um, working alongside Jean-Claude Breton, who is the, uh, the director of the restaurant, the maitre d'. And his, you know, we all work with wonderful databases and memories of certain guests and where they like to sit and what they like to drink. But I have never seen someone who retained a lifetimes of knowledge about guests, um, their children's birthdays, what they like. Um, in his head, it was astounding and everything was about the guest and, and I really looked at that as um, as inspiring. You came back to Adelaide and um, got a job at the Mance restaurant and that's when you yes. started to really make yeah. a name for yourself in, in Australia. What was that period of time like for you and, and what sort of triggered that? Um, I, I was kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do and there weren't really um, roles in Adelaide as a sommelier per se, so I worked as the assistant manager there, and we, you know, won a few awards and and, into, and as a successful restaurant, and um, it was really great to work with a few of the chefs there that were really innovative, um, like Lachlan Colwell. You might know he's that moved out to Tassie. He's a really great chef, so it was really pleasurable to work with him. Um, but I, I suppose what I missed there was working really closely with wine. And um, and I was really trying to um, to learn more and develop, um, but in the end, I think Melbourne was probably inevitable. Just that slightly bigger market. Adelaide's a really different place to work now. It's much more diverse and and interesting. With this, once they opened up the small bar license, um, you know, every time I go back, I'm I honestly think I, maybe I wouldn't have left, um, but. But, you know, obviously it's lucky I did because I got a pretty great job. <laughs> well, education is a real key feature of your career, both mm. um, all of the things, um, certificates and uh, and also accolades that you've received. It's a list that's far too long to, to mention here. Um, but you're also a very, very passionate wine educator. Tell us a bit about what it takes um, to cut through that boundary and educate with wine. Sure. Um I suppose all of the things that I've, you know, all of the competitions and masterclasses and things that I've ever attended or entered, all of those have been driven by the desire to know things. I like to know things. I like to know why things happen and and trying to understand their context, whether that's viticulture or winemaking techniques or the resulting wine and how it's consumed. Um, and... When I first started working in restaurants, you'd put an ad up and people would apply and they'd have great qualifications and you could pick and choose. And that's not the case anymore for whatever reason. I'm sure that's the, a conversation, a very large conversation about why that is. Um, so I, and I realised pretty quickly that the things that I liked about being a sommelier, sharing experiences and enhancing people's 
like understanding of the food with the appropriate wine was also applicable to education and and I suppose sharing those things and helping people to feel um, I don't know empowered on the floor empowered with knowledge is a really important thing for for young waiters any waiters um, so so for me yeah, education is has, is really motivating factor and, and it's a part of my job I really love I offer I you know, I always ran lots of uh, little training sessions and they started to become more and more structured with more, um, you know, designated outcomes and how would I achieve things and would they have um, financial impact or would they have um, impact in staff development and uh, guest experience. But what I realised is that when we hired people, they didn't come to us with that existing knowledge. They didn't always know that, Chardonnay was a white grape. They didn't know how to open a bottle of sparkling wine. Um, so I became a wine and spirit education trust um, educator. So I'd finished the diploma a couple of years before when I was still at Cutler & Co. And, um, and I thought it's a great um, proven base of the classic wines of the world that we can build on to help, people, to help our staff understand the context of the wine lists and maybe maybe the classic wines on the list but also you know how modern wines differ from that classic um someone told me a long time ago when molecular gastronomy was a thing um that you know you might know how to spherify something but do you know how to fillet a fish and i i think that about wine as well if you you might understand the best and brightest of australian wine and how innovative and exciting it is but if you don't understand what some of those winemakers are reacting against or what they're trying to achieve, um, you don't understand them fully. So, so that understanding of the classic world of wine and, um, is really important. But also when you're stepping on the floor and you're 25 and you're serving someone who's 60, who has a lifetime of drinking and understanding and experience, you're speaking a different language. So I need to try and um, help people to empathise and to listen to the way that what the guest is asking for and interpret that in a way that's going to come up with the best result. And, and for me, that's what teaching WSET level two and three does, um, but also is the focus for all of the training sessions that, that I do and that all of the buyers do. Tell me a bit about Australian wine. Is there any regions or varietals that you're really excited about at the moment? Well, I, I, definitely drink Riesling disproportionately to, to other things. So um, <laughs> that's probably an issue. <laughs> but um, I, I, you know, McLaren Vale was my region growing up. That was, that was certainly where, uh, what I had the most familiarity with and, and uh, understanding of. And I love how that region has developed and how, in, how much interest and excitement there is from both young producers but also older producers. Um, I think it is, you know, it's a very large region with so many different, um, different soil types, different altitudes, different impacts from the ocean. Um, and they have this benefit of, um, of these really old vines as well. So that rise of, um, Grenache in particular. I mean, you look at people like Steve Pannell or, or Pete at Yangara State and, and, um, 
you know, they're, they're really looking at producing world-class Grenache. Um, but then there's those younger, innovative producers making interpretations of classics, like the guys at Ministry of Clouds. Or you could look to the people really pushing boundaries and trying to um, interpret varieties in different ways, like um, the team at Inkwell or Brash Higgins is a classic. You know, and then finally those big names who are exploring, you know, famous names with lots of legacy who are exploring new varieties and, and how they might better understand the place. So Coriole and their, their use of, you know, exciting white grapes. Who would have thought McLaren Vale could be an exciting white wine region? Um, I just remember really big, rich Chardonnay growing up. Um, but, you know, Pickpool and, and, you know, new wave varieties that love the Mediterranean climate. So I, I think McLaren Vale is great. Um, I'm super interested in how dynamic Great Southern is and all of those different sub-regions. And it really seems to be a, a hotbed for creativity and quality focus. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Central Otago. I wonder if that that um, isolation and the fact that if you live there, you you choose to live there. You don't just kind of end up there. You 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 want to live on the other side of the earth. You know, it is so far away, and it, the wines are so good and so dynamic. But of course, you know, Victoria is an incredibly diverse and exciting region, from the King Valley to Henty to you know to the Yarra Valley. Uh, you know, it's a good time to be drinking Australian wine. Andrew McConnell's influence is extraordinary over the last couple of mm. decades, and he just has this knack of creating successful restaurants that the, the dining public love. You've been there over a decade. What is the secret to the success of the group? Uh, I think everybody is focused on making sure that the guest walks out saying that was a great experience. Um, obviously, there will always be exceptions where something went wrong and we, and the secret of that is trying to do our utmost to, to make that not happen, first of all, and then make sure that if it does happen, that we fix it. Um, I think Andrew's, Andrew has, as I said, incredible vision and a very clear vision for what he wants in the restaurants. Um, and, but I think it's not necessarily a complex, uh, complex vision because at the end of the day, what he wants is a comfortable environment, delicious food, appropriate wine that enhances that experience and for the service to be genuine and, uh, and attentive. It's, it's the old adage of, of welcoming someone into your home um, is, is certainly very true for us and is... Um, certainly uh, something that we repeat a lot that you know we're welcoming people into our home um, obviously we have restaurants and venues at different parts of the market from from the pub to you know to some more casual all-day bustling venues and then more fine fine dining I suppose if you like that term but more considered um, you know elevated experiences but really, our service and our service process um, and our food process doesn't differ between the venues. It's just the ingredients or the, the menu items that differ. You allude to the energy of the industry and, um, and also by wine and the education involved with that. Now, um, in the role that you're in in such a big group, what do you love about what you do? 
Um, I absolutely love walking behind someone during service and hearing them explain to a colleague that um, Chianti Classico comes from the elevated vineyards at the centre in the traditional heart of the Appalachian. And I remember that six months ago, they didn't know that Chianti was a, um, a place and not a variety. I love that. I love watching people develop. Um, I think that we, one of the, you know, you asked about the success of the group and, and, and why Andrew has successful restaurants, but it is undeniable that that is the people that work with us um, and the, the true passion and drive that they have to make successful um, restaurants, is, that is what keeps me here. Um, you know, the people that I work with, the, um, the strive that they, that the drive that they have every day um, to make a great experience. And I think that, you know, that means that people stay with us. I mean, I've worked with our general manager, Chris Handel, for, I don't know, <laughs> eight or nine years now. Um, you know, we have a lot of, you know, there's still waiters at Cutler & Co who I worked with back when I worked at Cutler & Co every day. Um, you know, we have amazing longevity for our team and, and that gives a, a stability not just for the teams and working there and an understanding of processes and, you know, fixing issues and, and things like that, that intimate knowledge of restaurant day-to-day, but also a stability for our guests, that they recognise faces when they come to our restaurants. Um, I think that, that having friends at your restaurant, a place where everyone knows your name, that's a, that's a powerful thing. It certainly is. And Leanne, we're absolutely honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. And I know there's so much more to it. Um, Perhaps we can catch up again later in the year. Um, Please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.